This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Set up point headman, right to go Kudrop. Score! Hattrick! Kudrop! That is right. It is phase three. The beginning of phase three as training camps open back up and the NHL is... Well, could we say on its way to resuming play? That's the hope. And I know a lot of you are excited about that opportunity. There's still a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of players, coaches, I'm sure. As we see more and more cases pop up, players who test positive. We'll get into that in just a little bit coming up. The Pittsburgh Penguins certainly have uh, an interesting situation going on in their camp as nine players uh, after a potential secondary exposure to COVID-19 have been sidelined, but nonetheless, the NHL feels, I think, pretty confident in what they're doing and how this is going to play out, that training camp, again, phase three, opening back up today. It's a lot of fun. We can't wait to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning. We are live here at Amelie Arena. I am your host, Greg Linnelli. Been gone for a couple of weeks. Went back to see some family in Pennsylvania did the road trip. It was long. It was tiring. And I almost think I probably need a vacation from that vacation, so to speak. But listen, when you travel with a four-year-old and a nine-month-old, you're going to experience some long nights. And let me tell you, that car ride to Pennsylvania sure was no fun. But you know what? You do these things and you figure it out. We did that. We had a good time. And we're glad to be back with you talking some hockey. Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, will be joining me in the next segment. I want to ask you as a fan, are you starting to get excited for the 2020 playoffs? I know maybe until you see some games, you fully won't be there. But honestly, folks, like today's a huge step. And I, I've been telling you for a while now that, you know, I feel like outside of something catastrophic happening, that we're going to finish the season. And when I say we, meaning the NHL. And we can get into the debate, why are they doing that? Greg, the COVID-19, obviously it's very contagious. It might not be a death sentence, but... I'm a little hesitant to do things outside still. I can't imagine the NHL allowing their biggest and greatest assets to get on the ice and risk their health. And on the surface, I think it's a good question. And it goes back to, well, why are they doing this? Why are any leagues returning? Bottom line, it does come down to money. Let's be very clear. Revenue-based teams have to play and get fans in the stands or at least honor those TV contracts to make up some lost revenue. So no doubt about that. That's a big deal. But I also think the league feels pretty confident in what they're able to do medically to make sure they pull this off. I actually think the hardest thing or the biggest challenge in all of this are the logistics. There are some people out there who are questioning why are teams having training camps 
in their own cities and not have it at the hub cities. In other words, if you want to contain everything, which is the point of the hub cities, keep everything in one bubble, so to speak, why not make everything there? Now, again, that gets back to logistics. I don't know if the NHL could deal with all of that in addition to games and practices with the teams uh, playing. But it's the decision the league had to make. As I've told you over and over again, you can poke holes with anything. There was no handbook for the league to go back and look at and say, okay, let's see, how to deal with a pandemic. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, okay, that's right. Uh, Point B, we are going to shut the season down for four months, then we're going to come back, and then we're going to do a training camp. We're going to have one exhibition game, and then we're going to try and go to a couple of hub cities, and we're going to keep all of the players there. Oh, by the way, we're going to allow the players to opt out before 5 o'clock today if they choose not to play. That's fine. But there was no handbook for that. So how how are you supposed to pull this off flawlessly? Of course there are going to be questions, and of course there are going to be concerns. I just think, looking at this logically, and you could probably say this with all the leagues, that obviously there was a financial gain to this, no doubt about it. But I think they probably felt, yes, there is some risk to this, but the data they're seeing, these players who are in great shape, they're going to get great care, uh, should be relatively fine. Look, time will tell if that's the right decision, but that's where we are right now. So the question I'm throwing to you as we sit here today, it's a big first step, and maybe this is beyond a first step, but this is a pretty big deal for the NHL to get back and play games. I'm wondering for you, are you starting to get back into that hockey mood? Or are you, you know, kind of waiting to see what happens? And once you see that first maybe exhibition game, the only exhibition game, at least at this point, that we know of, that's when you're really going to get excited. And also, too, I want to get into this topic probably with Bernsey, but, you know, also in this segment as well. Do you expect more players to opt out and not play? Because I think... To me, this is a fascinating discussion on so many levels. First and foremost, we know that the teams coming back have the opportunity to compete for the Stanley Cup. And when you talk to players that get to this level, obviously establishing themselves as a regular, taking care of their families financially, that's first and foremost, no doubt. Once you start to get in the league, you become a regular, you start to accomplish things, no doubt the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, probably more so than than any other thing you want to accomplish at that point in your career. Just ask Steven Stamkos. Even younger guys who are established right now, Braden Points and Anthony Sorelli, sure, they have things they want to accomplish individually, I'm sure, But when you ask them, why do you play, it's to win a Stanley Cup. And you've seen over the years players who are older that bounce from team to team, from contending team to contending team to try and and win a Stanley Cup. You know, obviously Dave Anderchuk with the Tampa Bay Lightning in 04. We saw uh, a number of examples, whether it was Ray Bork, Bill Guerin, latching on to a team who has a really good chance to win so you can get 
that cup and raise Lord Stanley at the end of the day. So you understand that's a big deal for players is to win a Stanley Cup. And you also know the ability for these players to push through extreme circumstances to play, especially in the playoffs. And so when you see players opting out, for various reasons, by the way, I'm wondering if you think more players will, because of COVID-19, and if it happened to your team, is this one situation where you say, you know what, I can't fault them. That's fine. Because I'll tell you, it was interesting looking at some of the players that have opted out right now. And as I said before, players have until 5 p.m. Eastern time today to declare they're opting out without a penalty. And the biggest name on that list, probably for me, is Travis Hammock from Calgary. I mean, that guy's a legit top four defenseman playing on a playoff team. But when you read why he's not playing, it makes total sense. And he wrote in a long statement that his daughter contracted a very serious respiratory virus last year. There you go. No more debate. You want to start talking about things we don't know about this this virus? There's still a lot of things we don't know. Travis Hamannick has a young daughter. He's really not sure if it's wise for him to go play. He just says, you know what, family first. And you know what? You can't disagree with that at all. That's the right decision. Mike Green also said he wasn't going to play for Edmonton. He's dealing with some personal issues that he hasn't expressed, which is fine. And you respect that. Carl Alsner from the Canadians, he's going to opt out. So there have been a couple of players, mainly obviously for health reasons. And it sounds like health reasons that maybe doesn't necessarily affect them specifically, but maybe family members that are dealing with some issues. And you respect that. I'm curious if we see more of that moving forward. I can't, I, 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 you can't fault them. You can't. Now, if a guy opts out because he's uneasy about what's happening, but maybe there are no issues with his family or himself... I think that would be an interesting conversation. Because then you start to get into, well, you know, what does the virus really do to players in great shape at this level? And especially if it's a high-end guy, what does that do to your team? Or are you at the point where it just really doesn't matter to you? You're just grateful guys are back on the ice playing, willing to risk it a bit. You're really not going to give anybody a hard time, especially if they don't have any issues with family or themselves of opting out. I'm curious what your take is on that, at Greg Linelli. Bob says, Greg, good to hear you back. Let's just get the season going. And if it's going to happen, why bother discussing whether they should or shouldn't play at this point? We all have our opinions, which have been made known. Let's get down to hockey. I agree. 
this notion that some people, I think especially in the media, are refusing to accept the fact that the league is moving forward, I don't know what to tell you. And as I said before, I've been very consistent about this. The minute the league decided they wanted to play, I felt like they were coming back. <laughs> I mean, and again, it's been mainly writers, I think, from Canada. I think they have a different viewpoint on all of this. That I think some of their belief is, well, I won't believe it until I see it. All right. That's fine. But you don't bring back a multi-billion dollar industry and feel like it's going to be shut down within a week or two of launching or relaunching in this particular case. At Greg Linelli on Twitter, we had players on the ice for the first group earlier today. Verhege, Point, and Kucherov, they were on a line together. Pilat, Sorelli, Kalorn also was on a line. Volkov, Stevens, and Joseph as well. Hedman, Ruta, Coburn, Bogosian, and Shen were your defensemen. Vasilevsky getting it done in net, as you would expect. Second session will be coming up a little later on today, but phase three is on. All right, we're going to talk about it a little bit more with our good friend, Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He is right next to me. No, no, folks, we are social distancing. Don't worry. I would give Burnsy a hug because it's been so long. And his hair is long, too, which is amazing. See, I have a, a bald head, and that's because I can shave, so I don't have to worry about going out. And um, I bet Burnsy wish he could go buzz right now because his hair is – he could go man bun, I think. He could go man bun, and we'll talk about that with him when we return. It is Power Lunch. It's good to be back with you all live from Emily Arena. Steve Versnick also producing. Back after this with Brian Burns on Lighting Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Social distancing from Emily Arena. I am Greg Lanelli. Phase three practice going on today. It's really, I think, for a lot of people that cover the team, I've got to think for the players and fans, this is a pretty big day. I don't want to say this is like opening night, but you know what? I haven't been playing for four months. This is a pretty big deal for a lot of people who love hockey. Kind of maybe the first huge step in seeing this season resume as we continue to see the second portion of the practice. Uh, players starting to come out and uh, work on some things, but the, the first practice happened uh, a little bit ago. Of course, Lightning Power Play, your home for the most complete Lightning coverage, and we'll have wall-to-wall -wall coverage throughout, so make sure you keep it tuned here. And uh, joining me right now, he's the beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, our good friend, Brian Burns. Burnsy, it's uh, great to actually physically see you. Uh, social distancing, distancing, of course, but um, as I said before, this is a pretty big day, I think, for everybody involved in the hockey community. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter post that it almost feels like the first day of school, and it does yeah, kind of have that point. feel to it. You know, you've yeah. been away for it's almost like we've been on summer vacation for the last four months, and you're <laughs> you're getting back into it. There is that. I, I know last night going to bed, I had that little bit of excitement, like I'm actually going to be yeah. doing something different for the first time right. since since the pause. You know, we've been doing everything 
uh, from home, and it just kind of feels like Groundhog Day where you get up, you take care of you know whatever chores that you've got to do around the house. You, you set the laptop up in the same place, and, and you're working, but it just uh, it just doesn't really feel the same. So it's nice to be here. It's nice to hear those familiar sounds. We were just listening to the Zamboni cleaning the ice a little bit ago. It's nice to hear that sound, hearing the pucks yes. go off the glass. That's a great sound to hear. Like It's just nice to be back. And I'm cold for the first time in probably three months. You know, It's been so hot and humid got outside. I'm actually cold here in the arena. I'm got a little bit of the chills. A little bit of chill. I, I made sure before I uh, headed out, because it's so hot, obviously, this time of year. I, I grabbed my hoodie because I said, you know, it's probably going to be really cold while we're watching practice from above. First, See, I didn't know to think ahead like that. It's been uh, so long, I didn't know to think ahead. I had four months to think about that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I had four. I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to forget. But it was good to see the players on the ice. Any impressions early on from that first unit practicing? I, I guess maybe the biggest thing I took, Bernsey, was the fact that Jan Ruta was was there and ready to go. I think that's actually one of the bigger bigger question marks in this training camp outside of everybody's health and you know where every player is because I think when you start talking about this Lightning team, when we look back at where they were and where they are right now, it's a pretty pretty well-balanced team. Jan Rutza, you would think, is going to fit into this equation at some point. The question always was, where is he health-wise? Yeah, he looked fine. Looked really good out there. Looked uh, looked how he did before. Uh, you know, he had suffered that lower body injury right before the pause. I think he missed like 17 games there. But yeah, yeah, I thought that was the big thing. And and you're gonna, I don't know if you can read too much into how you know they've broken up the groups here because they have half the team going in the morning session, and now we're seeing some of the uh, the second half of the team coming out for session number two. But uh, I thought that was pretty important that you saw Hedman and Ruta. They, you know, they switched around. They only had five defensemen uh, in that right. first group. They're going to have five defensemen in the second group as well. Uh, but I thought the first time that they went through some of those drills, it was Hedman and Ruta, uh, and then Coburn and, and uh, Bogosian. Uh, so I think that's a pretty good indicator that that's kind of how they want to go with that pairs. I know that was a big question that we talked about now with everybody healthy. Uh, will we see any differences in the defensive pairs? Will they try to you know, maybe put Sergachev up top with Hedman? Yeah. Uh, will Ruda, will he be in that top six? And I think that's a pretty good indication that that's how they want to go, at least when they were on that, you know, that long winning streak and over that stretch from, you know, late December to – uh, the Colorado game, I think that was February 17th, when they went 23-2-1. You know, at the beginning of that stretch, that's how it was. It was Hedman, Ruda, uh, McDonough, Chernak, which has always been the pair that, that's going to be together. Uh, then Sergeyev, Shattenkirk. And that's how it seemed like they were playing their best hockey and they were in that kind of two-goal-or-less mentality that, that yeah. John Cooper has talked about. And then some injuries crept up. Ruda got injured. Uh, Coburn was able to step in and play really well for him. McDonough got injured, and then things started to kind of get off the rails there a little bit over those last 10 games before the pause. And uh, But I think that's how they're going to see this thing through, at least at the start of this. Uh, they're going to go back to those pairs, and I thought that was pretty telling that Ruta was with Hedman. Uh, you know, a couple other things just uh, on that, that first line, you saw Point, Kucherov, and then Verhage up there. Yeah. With them, I wonder if that's you know a product of Steven Stamkos not being ready to to go you know full participation here in the opening days of camp. If if he's a placeholder or if, or if he's actually a guy that they're maybe looking at, 
to fill that role. The, the second line, I thought, was a, probably the line that we'll see Palat, uh, Sorelli, and Kalorn. That seems to be a pretty strong you know, second line there, third line, however you want to slot those guys in. But... Uh, and then we saw Stamkos come in after the uh, after the, the morning session. He came out for a skate, took some shots, looked pretty good, wasn't in any kind of like no contact jersey. Yeah. Although these guys aren't really doing much contact anyway, right. so I don't know if there's a, a need for a no contact jersey. But just good to see him go out there and get some uh, some turns in on the skates and some shots and, uh, you know, didn't look like he was suffering. Uh, any from, from whatever that lower body injury he, he got during phase two. Yeah, the Samkus injury, that doesn't seem to be like a serious thing, does it, Bernsey, from what you're gathering? Yeah, just, you know, from what Julian Breezebois said, I'm, I'm, you know, unrelated apparently to, to the surgery the, that he had that, that kept him out for six to eight weeks. Uh, just something new that crept up during the phase two scenario. But from everything that Julian told us, it seems like uh, they'll probably bring him along slowly during this camp, but that once we're ready to get into game action that he'll be there and uh, yeah. shouldn't, you know, hopefully should be at a hundred percent. Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, joining us here on power lunch. We go to one o'clock. If you want to ask Burnsy a question, hit me up on Twitter at Greg Linelli. Burnsy, take us through the process leading up to the first game. How many more practices are we going to see from this uh, lightning team with phase three? And then, it uh, looks like one exhibition game for all teams before we get into the round robin. Yeah, they're pretty much going every day. You know, they're kind of doing these two a day where they're splitting the team up uh, over two different sessions. They're going to do that for the first three days. They'll, act, they'll actually have a day off on Thursday. Uh, and then as we go later into camp, uh, there's some, you know, like blue and white scrimmages, scrimmages that yeah. are set up there. Uh, I think they have three scrimmages on the schedule uh, before they leave or before the end of camp next Sunday. Uh, I know there's three days off uh, this Thursday. They're going to go Saturday and Sunday. And then I believe, you know, there's two days off on the following week. Uh, but they're, you know, they're going to be out there pretty much every day getting after it. Uh, I think it's going to ramp up here. I think today is more of just kind of getting acclimated, doing some of the drills that, yeah. you know, we've seen them do throughout. Uh, you know, when in normal scenarios when they're practicing. But as we get going a little bit further here, I think you'll see more of the contact drills. I think you'll see the intensity ramp up. Uh, and especially once those scrimmages start, I think they're going to want to use those to start to get the legs underneath of them and get that feel of what it's like to actually play uh, in a competitive situation. Uh, and then, yeah, like you said, once they get up to the Hub City, they'll have that one exhibition game. And then I think the, you know, the round-robin schedule sets up pretty nicely for them. you got three games in seven days there. Uh, you got a nice little break between game two yeah. against Boston and, and game three against Philadelphia. Uh, and then it looks like, you know, I think that, that last game against Philly is August 9th. August 10th is a day off. And it looks like they want to get started with those best-of-seven series right on August 11th. So that break in between game two and game three could be pretty good for yeah. this team. Yeah, kind of get right into yeah, it. Yeah, make sure they're not you know taxed from that round-robin uh, schedule. Did you have any doubt? I guess everybody had a little bit of doubt when you consider what the world is going through with this pandemic in terms of shutting things down. But did you feel like once the league made that commitment to get the season going, however they were going to do it, that they were going to finish the season? I didn't really have any doubt that the NHL was going to try to finish the season. They were going to do everything that they could to make sure it was finished. I have, I still wonder if we're going to be able to get through this whole thing. I, I'm a little worried about, especially, you know, here in Florida, and he, with this being an area where there, there's a lot of COVID cases right now, it seems to be a hotbed. 
there's more hotbeds kind of popping up all over the country. For me, it's just, you know, can we get out of this phase three without a lot of people coming down with the virus so that once they get to phase four and they get in the hub cities and they can get in that bubble, uh, that's going to be the key for me. I think once they get to phase four and they're in the bubble, then I think if everybody can get there and there's no, you know, outbreak of cases amongst the players, then I think we'll be good to go. But for me, it's these next two weeks. Keep fingers crossed that, that everybody stays healthy. No one uh, – I feel like you're probably going to get, you know, isolated incidents of, of guys getting the virus. But yeah. hopefully they can pull those guys away from the team, isolate them, uh, self-quarantine, and they can get over the, the illness and get back in with the team once they finish their, you know, 14 days or whatever it is or whatever it takes them to get back uh, with their group when they're not showing any symptoms. So for me, it's just getting through these next two weeks with uh, without – you know, a rash of, of coronavirus going through the uh, through certain teams. I've seen a few tweets uh, from some hockey guys I follow on Twitter, and I'm curious what your take is regarding this question. Uh, this guy comes from uh, The Athletic uh, in Pittsburgh, Jesse Marsh, who says, the idea of having a bubble is essentially pointless if training camps aren't happening within that bubble. Yeah, I Do mean, you buy that? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Like, you're in a situation now where you're in these training camps, but they're trying to protect them as much as they can. Like, obviously, we're in the media here. We're using different entrances. We're kept far away from yeah. where the players are. There's only certain people that are allowed to have access to the players. They're part of that player access group uh, where they're supposed to be distancing and wearing masks and staying away from the general public. But then – you know, once these guys leave here, they're going back home and, uh, you know, they might be going to restaurants. You can't really control, like, what these guys do once they leave the arena and they're not uh, under the eye uh, of the people here in the player access group that are trying to keep them safe. So, uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, they're not in the bubble now, and there's a, there's a chance that they could catch coronavirus and that could derail things because then they're not going to be able, they're going to have to wait before they go into the bubble. You don't want players that have it to get in the bubble. And right. then if that happens and it spreads inside the bubble, then I think you're pretty much done at that point. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, this it's a little these, weird. Yeah. These next two weeks are going to yeah. be pretty key. You just hope everybody can stay safe. Get to the bubble. Exactly. Right. I think that's, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what everybody is, is hoping for. And then from there, you know, you can you can figure it out. But uh, it seems like the testing, though, is in place, that teams are understanding the protocols in place that the NHL has put down and put forth. And I think as long as the teams follow that, as I said before, Burns, I do think the sports workplaces are going to be some of the safest places out there. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, you were talking about some of the tweets that you read. I, just before I came up here, I think it was the, the Penguins I read that, uh, nine of their players are yeah. being kept off the ice today because not because secondary they, exposure, right? They had been in contact yeah. with someone else who had had uh, coronavirus, and they were just trying to keep them safe and make sure that if they were somehow exposed yeah. and did catch it, were asymptomatic, that they weren't passing it on to their teammates. So, I think phase three is just about being diligent about making sure that everybody's as safe as possible. If there is a question of whether or not you've been exposed or have symptoms, then, you know, safer rather than sorry. And uh, just try to get up to that bubble without, you know, too many of these guys coming down with anything. Bernsey, do you think we're going to see more players decide to opt out? It seems like the ones we've seen right now 
it was more for personal reasons with their family than maybe not wanting to risk it themselves. How do you see that playing out? I know the deadline is 5 p.m. Monday, which is obviously tonight, where there is no penalty if they decide to opt out. But I'm curious, do you believe we'll see more players decide to opt out? And we always say when it you know, happens to some other team, you're kind of like, oh, that's, that's interesting. But if it happens to your team, then I think it's a bigger shock. What do you make of, of that whole situation? Yeah, I know, like, I think Michigan asked me this question last week about how many people I thought might opt out. And it was, like, anywhere from zero to five, maybe. And what yeah. is it, like, six right now? I, right. I think the ones that have opted out, I don't know that we're going to see anybody else. I know they have until the deadline, uh, the 5 p.m. deadline tonight. But I think we've probably seen. You've seen. Hamannick was the biggest name, I yeah. thought, and, and Green. But Hamannick and Green, especially Travis Hamannick, talked about, it's more about his daughter who's got a respiratory issue. Yeah. And even even if it's nothing, even if, if you're a player and you don't have any health issues, your family doesn't have any health issues, even if you don't have a family, you don't have a wife or you don't have kids or yeah. anything like that, yeah, if you want to opt out, I still can't fault any of these guys if they want to do it because just like we were saying, you don't really know what the long-term effects of the illness are. You don't know. No one really knows what's going on. So if you feel unsafe and you don't feel like that you want to put yourself in that situation, I can't fault anybody for doing that. Um, but I think we've seen you know, there might be one or two more that come out here before 5 p.m., but uh, I think we've seen the, the players are going to opt out. I, I think hopefully that that's the cap and we don't get any more people that, that want to opt out and try to somewhat yeah. you know, maintain the integrity of, of, of this uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. What is your belief when the league decided to – go through with this because to your point there are a lot of uncertainties do you think they felt like this virus while very contagious was something that wasn't really going to hurt the players in the long run and it was a risk worth taking or do you think this all came down to the mighty dollar i think a little bit of both yeah I mean, obviously, I think of the leagues, you know, the major sports leagues, the NHL probably has a little bit more incentive to try to get the, the season finished, to try to get games played. They have uh, contracts with their TV networks that they're hoping to honor, and uh, and that's a pretty big deal, that, that the monetary value of those contracts and what that means to the league. And, you know, we're looking at next season where there's still unknowns as to, you know, the league has said all along that they want to have an 82-game regular season next season. Uh, but we don't know, is that going to be in front of full arenas? Is that going to be in front of half full arenas? Is that going to still be in front of empty arenas? Like, we don't know what this virus is going to do four months from now, let alone, or four days from yeah. now, let alone four months from now. So uh, I think, really, they're just trying to get it in. Uh, that's That's been the key, is just trying to get this thing finished, get the season finished so they can honor those contracts uh, and then not – mess with whatever they're trying to do next season and try to still have that 82-game regular season schedule. Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, joining us here on Lightning Power Play as the second group is out here with practice. Curtis McElhaney manning one of the nets um, here in practice. I think that's going to be an interesting situation, Burnsy, and maybe this speaks to the lack of question marks Tampa Bay really has on their team when you talk about their goaltending situation is Vasilevsky just going to play the full 60 minutes in that only preseason game or exhibition game or do you have to get McElhaney an opportunity to play and, and see some rubber 
Yeah, I would think in the exhibition game, you have to try to get both of them a little bit of playing time. At least I would. I mean, you want both of them to, to have an opportunity to see some pucks to get back into that game flow. I think once the round robin starts, you know, I think Vasilevsky gets the majority of that time, although I wouldn't be surprised to see McElhaney get one of those starts just so uh, it's a little bit more of an intense uh, competition. It's not one of the best of five series or, yeah. or a do or die scenario, but it's still uh, you know, ramping up to that level that you're going to face once you get into the into the best of seven series. So uh, I would expect they'll try to get him in wherever they can. It'll be interesting to see how they work these round robin games if they, you know, try to stick with one lineup, whatever that lineup is that they want to use once the best of seven series yeah. starts, and go with that lineup throughout those round robin games. If they'll try to work some other guys in to try to get. Uh, them some game action to try to get them ready in case they're needed once the uh, the the actual playoffs begin. It'll be interesting to see how they handle these round robin games because you know they're not necessary. Uh, necessary is not the right word, but it, it's not a game where they have to win these games. Obviously, it's nice for the seeding purposes, but a lot of those advantages that you get from the seeding purposes aren't there this year. You don't get the home ice advantage. Really, the only advantage that you're getting. Uh, from being the, the number one seed is uh, you're going to play the lowest seed each round. Right. Uh, and you're getting that, you know, in four of the seven games, you're you're the home team, so you're getting that last line change. Uh, but other than that, you're not playing in front of a home crowd. You're not getting that home ice advantage. Like a lot of those advantages just aren't going to be there this year. So uh, whether you finish first or fourth after that round robin scenario, to me it really doesn't make that much of a difference. Yeah, and I think even outside of, of that situation, you can make a case that home ice advantage, especially in the playoffs, might be a little bit overrated. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, teams go on the road and, and or you feel like, you know, you're up 3-2 in a series and you come home for that game and you feel put like you've been able to put it away and then yeah. you know, you lose that game, you right. lay an egg and then you have to go back on the road again and try to uh and try to finish it out. Blake Coleman maybe the the second I don't want to say question mark. Obviously, that's that wouldn't be the correct way to phrase it because He's an established NHL player that you believe is going to contribute. I think beyond Jan Rutan, where he fits in and how the top six defensemen weigh in, Burnsy, is Blake Coleman and where his talents fit in with this team maybe the next biggest question that needs to be answered? Yeah, just kind of where is he going to slot in? You know, what line is he going to be with? I know he's with that third line right before the pause and seemed to be fighting it a little bit. You know, new team, uh, had a baby on the way, uh, trying to deal with, with getting his wife and, and family down here in Florida and uh, had been with the Devils for the, the entirety of his career. So I think that was weighing on him a little bit. I think more than anything, this pause should help a guy like that where maybe it hurts a guy like uh, Barclay Goodrow who comes in and was playing well with the team and it really established himself, I felt like, in that yeah. Boston game and really endeared himself sure. to his teammates. Uh, so he probably wanted to keep playing games and, and get more and more comfortable with these guys. Whereas a guy like Blake Coleman, uh, you know, the goals weren't really coming for him. The shots weren't there. He, he seemed not that he was struggling, but just maybe more was a little bit more was expected of him than, than what he was showing so far, more so in the offensive uh, side of the game. So just the opportunity to step back a little bit, get more comfortable in his surroundings, get comfortable uh, with where he is now. Uh, here in Tampa Bay, learn the systems a little bit more, and now get into like a training camp scenario where you can kind of hone in on what he needs to do. Right. I think this could be really good for him, and, and once we get into some actual games, 
uh, you'll see him have more of a positive effect with the team. It's tough to really start breaking down other teams, Bernsey, until we start to see some games because I feel like we've been away for so long, you almost forget the personnel from all the other teams they're going to be competing against. Yeah, I mean, y you know what the teams that are going to be good or the teams that, that we're finishing or are playing really well with the pause, you know, Boston is going to be one of those teams to beat. And you look at that game, the, the second round robin game for the lightning, you kind of have a, a circle around that one because that's a matchup that it's always been a, a tough one and uh, always great games. And then you think back to the last time the two teams played and just, you know, the, the number of fights and the, the animosity between the two teams. And certainly I wouldn't expect that round robin game to come anywhere near uh, the level of animosity that we saw in that game. But uh, you still expect that to be a tough matchup. Washington's always a tough matchup for this team. But for me, though, it's just it, I don't really – I don't think you can get in too much into, like, who are you going to play in the first round? Right. What is the playoff matchup going to be? Uh, you know, a lot of people have been saying you don't want to finish fourth and potentially have to play Pittsburgh in the first round. Right. the five seed, a really tough team. Uh, Assuming they beat Montreal. Exactly. Which, you, you know, who knows? But to me, it's like if you're going to be a Stanley Cup champion, if you're going to be the best team in the league once this is all finished, you're going to have to go through those great teams anyway. So whether you have to face them in the first round or the third round or whatever the draw is that, that sets up for you to get to the Stanley Cup final, you're going to have to beat those teams anyway. And we saw last year, it really doesn't matter what your seed is. The, the Lightning were the number one seed yeah. you know, in March. Uh, they had that wrapped up, and Columbus comes in as the eighth seed and sweeps the Lightning. So it, it really doesn't matter. Anybody can beat anybody. Uh, I think if you're going to be a Stanley Cup champion, you're going to have to beat those teams anyway. It shouldn't matter if it's the four seed, the five seed, the eight seed, or whatever. Yeah, and probably this year more than any other year, it's how quickly can you adjust from being off from an extended period of time and the, I think the team that does that is going to have the best chance to win because everybody's going to be healthy yeah. for the most part. You're not going to have home ice advantage for any team. So how quickly do you shake off the rust? And I think for me, it's those teams that – who are those teams that were able to stay the most engaged during these four months off? Who are the teams that were able – you know, that, that didn't just use it as a kind of a second off season or a, a, an early off season, but were actually still working out while all of this was going on? Were able to stay engaged even though they didn't know uh, when they would be able to play, when they would be able to get into a training camp, or even if we would get to this point. Uh, so I think that bodes well for the Lightning just because you saw so many of their players stick around in this area, and they had a lot of guys still here, still maintaining contact with one, with one another, uh, encouraging each other to work out. And then once we saw Phase 2 happen, a lot of these uh, the informal skates, you saw a lot of guys here. There were like 18 guys around for, yeah. for those informal skates. I think that bodes well for the Lightning just that everybody was still here and still seemed to be uh, engaged in the process of, of staying uh, physically fit, staying game ready, so when we do get this thing underway, that they'll be ready to go. So what stories do you have planned here, Bernsey? Take us through a typical day now that you're able to get to the arena, because now these players, they're basically, what, doing Zoom calls? Yeah, so after after this first session we had, they had a 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. session, and once those guys came off the ice, uh, Alex Kaloran jumped in. They have a uh, one of the performer rooms down there uh, in the locker room corridor. They have one of those. Uh, performer rooms that's just strictly for, for Zoom calls. They've got the backdrop up and everything. And uh, so Alex Kalorn came in once he, you know, changed out of his uh, out of his uniform. And, uh, yeah, just had a, 
a media session like we've been having during these uh, yeah. during these four months off. We've we've typically been getting, you know, as media one guy a week. Uh, they've been trying to to rotate in different guys so we can hear from different voices. So. Still pretty similar in that regard, but, you know, at least we're here and we get to see, you know, defensive pairings like we're seeing right now, guys, you know, breaking off into defensive pairs and you see different line combinations. And uh, so it's good to be here and kind of get a feel for those things. But you could still cover this team from a distance just through the Zoom calls and it really wouldn't be that much different. Do you think that is going to be the new norm? At least for now, you know. Do I, the I players like it? I don't know. That's actually a pretty good question. That, that might pretty be a good, good question for uh, – I, I know we're going to get Tyler Johnson after this second session here, and then John Cooper is going to go on after that. So that might be a good question for one of yeah. the players if they prefer it. I've always been a believer that I, I don't think that the media should really be allowed inside the locker room. I almost feel like that should be, like, the player's domain. It's, like, their one area where they can get away from everybody and not have to deal with any outside voices or anything You would like rather that. have them just come to the podium? Yeah, I think it'd be better, or even like in a more comfortable setting where maybe you bring a guy out into another room outside of the locker room and guys, and you can do your normal scrums there. I think at some point we'll get back into a scenario where you're doing scrums and everybody's you know getting close to one another and, and the whole social distancing thing. Hopefully yeah. at some point uh, we'll go away once this thing gets under control. But, uh, you know, I at least for now, the, the Zoom calls, I mean, that's how they're going to do it through the uh, through this phase three. That's how they're going to do it once they go to their hub cities. Like, I'm staying here. I'm not going to be going up to the hub city to cover the team. I'll be doing it, you know, from where I've been in St. Petersburg from my house for the last four months. And really, I'm not going to be missing anything because no. we're not going to have any access once you get up there. The only thing... Uh, the only advantage to being in one of those hub cities and watching the games in person is that you kind of get a sense of what it's like to, to see how this whole thing unfolds. That would be an interesting story. It really would Wouldn't be. it be? But I don't think it's worth, you know, sending me up for <laughs> <laughs> two months of the expense with the, uh, the hotel. You may just have to drive. The per diem and all of that you stuff. Just, so. Well, this just in. Chris Johnston from Sportsnet says Austin Matthews confirmed that he had a positive COVID-19 test. He says he was pretty much asymptomatic. Yeah. So we might to see we might start to see uh, Bernsey more and more players reveal that they had it. Yeah, and I know the league wants everybody to be kind of tight-lipped about that, and you know, with HIPAA laws and all that, yeah. it, it's not necessary that you know we guys have to say what they have or if they had COVID. And uh, so I don't know how all that's going to play out. I, it does seem like, like you said, with Austin Matthews, where he was asymptomatic. And I know with the Lightning, when they had that outbreak and they had the shutdown phase two for a few days, it does seem like that, at least with the players, they're, they're pretty asymptomatic, or if they have any symptoms, yeah. they're very light. They're, it's nothing that, that uh, a lot of the guys, you know, that, that had it didn't even know that, you know, they were surprised that sure. they found out about it. You know, they had a high temperature went and got tested. They were preparing to come to the rink and, you know, skate like they normally would, felt fine, but then they found out they had COVID. So. Which is the bizarre angle of this virus is that most people, particularly younger ones, that's basically what they feel. Yeah. Low-grade fever, maybe a few aches, but maybe nothing that's unusual if they're just not feeling well on a typical day. You know, before COVID-19. Now, uh, Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com also went on to say that um, he can't pinpoint where he got it, meaning Austin Matthews, but he says he feels pretty healthy right now. 
Yeah, and that's why testing is so important because, like you said, a lot of these guys don't even know they have it. So if if that's the case and then they're getting into a locker room situation and they're around uh, a lot of their teammates, then it could be pretty easy to spread. So it's uh, it's just important that they're diligent with the testing. They're diligent with making sure people are taking the, the correct protocols and, uh, and having all those protocols in place and sticking yeah. to them. Well, Bernsey, we'll let you get back to work covering the uh, the practice here. We appreciate you, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you uh, throughout, buddy. Yeah. Great to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, Greg. You gonna ponytail, maybe? No, I'm not. It's not that long yet. <laughs> it's not quite. Although that it's getting long there, yet. man. There's, I can like kind of grab bun? it here in the back, and there's like a little <laughs> bit sticking on. You know, my barber lives in Tampa, and I've been in St. Pete for the last four months. I, I think I've only been over here maybe twice. You you didn't know. you had to do the uh, little Google Maps and. And figure out where Emily was again. Yeah, and I, uh, you, you know, for the first three months, I was like, I just want to let it grow out. I haven't had like <laughs> longer hair. I've always kind of kept it the same haircut for the last, you know, six, seven years or whatever. Uh, so I was like, I just want to see what happens. But now it's getting to a point where like I don't really know what to do with it. It looks stupid <laughs> to me. It starts getting like it hangs down <laughs> over my ears, and it's kind of I'm, like constantly like pushing it back under my ear, untucking it. It gets in my eyes a little bit. So <laughs> have you, I'm ready to get a haircut. I'm gonna call my guy. Hopefully on Thursday I can get over there and do and, your uh, thing. Yeah, I was gonna say, have cut. you been have you been tempted to cut your own hair? No, or I just buzz that, it. I know that's a problem. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to attempt that. It. I don't want to let. I've never right. seen my wife with clippers in her hand. Oh I'm boy, I'm not gonna let her nice. take a go at it. I'll just. I'll, I'll She's trust, not listening. Trust the professionals. That's right. All right. Well. Burnsy, we appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds good, Greg. All right, good to see Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, taking your comments. Hit me up on Twitter, at Greg, at Greg Linelli. And are you excited, finally, that we're seeing Phase 3 back and the Lightning are practicing? Or is it going to take you a little bit of time to get back in the mood of hockey season? And uh, biggest question mark maybe for you as Phase 3 begins today for the Lightning. We'll talk more about that when we return. We're live from Emily Arena. I am Greg Linelli. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, good to see Brian Burns in that previous segment. You know, finally we've been able to... Uh, <laughs> See some of uh, our guests that we've had on uh, via the phone line. See them in person as the media able to come in and uh, check out the practices starting today, Phase 3. Again, uh, I think a big day for a lot of people um, associated with hockey, a lot of fans. And I also think, too, maybe you know for those who doubted that the league would come back, this is a pretty big step that it's not going anywhere. Now, as I, as I said before... You know, there could be uh, a catastrophic situation that, that forces the league to shut down. But, you know, look, I, as I said, I think logistically, the logistics involved in this, to me, might be the biggest question mark when you factor in all the other reasons why they should or shouldn't play. You know, trying to get as many teams back on the ice, testing as many players as you can, making sure that you don't have... Uh, too many positive cases because, you know, then at that point you're talking about does that affect practice time? Does that affect, affect uh, the way you're playing uh, or fielding a team? And so I think logistically dealing with all of this is the biggest challenge that a lot of these sports leagues will face. And as I said before, I think right out of the, the gate here, maybe the biggest question mark um, that people have when it comes to the NHL opening up is, did it make more sense to have the training camps actually in the hub cities? 
because as you take a look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and their situation right now where they had to sit nine players because of a, a secondary exposure to COVID-19, uh, did it make sense to have all of these teams in one bubble or the, the two hub cities, basically, to keep them uh, in a bubble to really prevent any type of uh, you know outbreak? You understand why the league's doing it for the exhibition game and the round-robin games and the playoff games. You understand that they won't have everything under one roof, so to speak. But did it make sense to maybe extend that to phase three? I don't know. Again, maybe that comes down to logistics. You know, could they pull that off? Would that have been more of an expense that the league couldn't take on, understanding that revenue right now is is basically dried up? And of course, that is probably the biggest reason why the NHL is coming back uh, amongst the other sports leagues is because they need money. I mean, this is how they operate. You need uh, TV deals, you need radio deals, you need uh, fans in the stands, although I don't think that's going to happen initially, and it still might not. I, as you heard me say before, I, I've been on record saying I can see a scenario where in the Stanley Cup Finals you do see people in the stands. Now, we can debate who those people are, <laughs> you know, whether you think it's going to be legitimate fans, season ticket holders, or sponsors. I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's a couple of months from now. And do we have a better grasp on this virus two months from now? I, I think you can make the case that we've made strides in learning how to deal with the virus uh, now than we did, you know, two months ago. But I, I still think there's a lot that we don't know. And it's very contagious, as, as we see. It's not nearly as fatal as some imagined. It certainly affects the elderly more than the younger people and you know from there what are what are the really good preventative measures we need to take uh, as i said before i traveled the last couple of weeks via the car to go see family in pennsylvania and depending on what state you were in you know masks were were pretty optional um or i shouldn't say optional uh i think for the people that were <laughs> Uh, in the places that I happen to see them, some had masks, some didn't. I think for the most part, though, people are very good about social distancing. And uh, the mask thing seems to, to get uh, a, a lot of um, emotions going for whatever reason. And, you know, I, I understand that. Um, but the thing is, the mask situation, that could change two months from now. We may learn that that really... Uh, was the cure, not cure, but really preventative measure that, that needed to be displayed by all. Or we could look back and say, you know what, after doing some further research, it didn't look like the masks did a heck of a lot. So I think there's just a lot of uncertainty that we don't know. I think the social distancing for sure is something that most people can do. And I think at least the places I've been to, not only in this state, but other states, most people have done a pretty good job of that. And uh, of course, any restaurants that you go to or any other uh, office or building, I, I think they have made it a point to make sure that that happens. So uh, the more this goes on and the more information that we get from doing these different preventative measures, I think we'll be more informed. And as I said before, with the workplace scenarios in sports, because of the medical attention they're going to get and because of uh, the type of shape these athletes are in, I think the league felt pretty confident in their decision to return, in addition to obviously getting more revenue which is how this league is going to operate. But I think you factor that all in, 
And uh, it's no surprise that the league is back, and they're going to see how this all works out. But as I said before, um, it's going to be interesting to see if there are any more players that decide to opt out. And uh, that decision will come at 5 o'clock without a penalty. Travis Hamanick, the most, I think, popular or maybe most impactful player that has decided not to, and that is because of his daughter and a, uh, a respiratory issue. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Pop says, Greg, Burnsy just said, just a pretty good question. Greg, you're out of shape with your questions. That's a good point by you, Bob. Did you notice that I, I asked him, I said, just a pretty good question, but Burnsy didn't hear me. I think it's because his hair was covering his ears. That's how long Burnsy's hair is. And uh, I don't think he could hear my remark, but that's okay. Alex Selivanov says, I'm torn as to whether or not I should boo Gary Bettman next time I see him. <laughs> um, Alex, I'm going to say you're going to boo him regardless because I think Gary Bettman would be disappointed if you didn't boo him. But in all seriousness, I actually think Gary Bettman, as I said before, when this whole thing unfolded and they were coming up with their plan to come back, out of all of the commissioners, at least with the major sports that you care about, I actually thought he handled it pretty well and was the best out of all of them. Uh, how this unfolds and whether the NHL is able to pull it off without any major glitches, that remains to be seen. But I think for the most part, the players in the league uh, have done a nice job communicating in a way that hasn't been hostile. And they haven't been in the news for the wrong reasons. Let's put it that way. I think you can make the case that baseball did. I think you can make a case the NFL has and the NBA has. And maybe that's because the NHL is is comfortably in fourth when it comes to uh, your viewing pleasure for most people in, in this country. But I think they've done a good good job of putting their head down, coming together as one, and figuring out the best way to come back and play and in a way that wasn't so hostile in the press and people covering it and taking sides. And kudos to Gary Bettman. Does that mean you won't boo him? Of course not. You, you, it's, it's probably your duty, Alex, to boo Gary Bettman, and I think he would, he would anticipate that. All right, it's going to wrap up our show today. Appreciate you all who uh, chimed in. Again, we're live here at Amelie Arena. John Cooper yelling out instructions as the second squad is out here for the Tampa Bay Lightning practicing as Phase 3 is here, and hopefully it's here to stay. And we can continue to take those steps to see this team get back on the ice, taking on an actual opponent, and then hopefully lifting Lord Stanley when it's all said and done. Uh, there will be another edition of Power Lunch tomorrow, noon to 1. Dave Michigan will host, and uh, I will be with you for sure on Wednesday. And then from there, we'll continue to break it down and give you the best lightning coverage out there. Thanks to Brian Burns, beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who joined me earlier. Thanks to Steve Ersnick as well. And thanks to you for listening. It's great to be back talking hockey with you. It's only going to get better from here. No doubt about that. I am Greg Linnelli. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.